0: Friends, welcome to Stand a Reason, and I'm Greg Coakle, your host, um, reading now a tweet that went out, uh, I guess this is an STR tweets, so we have Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it now. I don't think I'll ever get used to that. Um, and it's like X-rated, right? Of course, maybe people don't even remember that because they don't make movies that are X-rated anymore. You remember Clockwork Orange in, what was that, 1971 or 72, Stanley Kubrick? That was X-rated. Midnight Cowboy, 1969, I think that was the year it came out. That was X-rated because of the content, first for violence, the second one for sexual content, which was very modest by today's standards. You see more sex on TV commercials now than you did in... um, um, It was Midnight Cowboy, but um, nothing's X anymore. Um, Nevertheless, so on X, a.k.a. Twitter, um, sometimes um, what Harmony tweets is a a citation from something I've said or written. This one says this. We're making a claim that fits our universal experience. Moral laws need a lawgiver." Things coming into existence need an adequate cause. Design requires a designer. It's the atheist, then, that is making the claim that seems to fly in the face of the facts. Okay, Greg Koukl, I said that sometime, but it's uh, not surprising notion. I've been saying this kind of thing for a long time, that Christianity is the best explanation for the way things are. So, when we look at the reality of moral laws, and we know that there is objective moral obligations because we complain so universally when those obligations are are broken or not kept, and those laws are broken, and that's called the problem of evil. doesn't matter where you lived or when you live, everybody knows that something's wrong with the world. Things are not the way they are supposed to be okay that means there we acknowledge in our objections to evil in the world which are impulsive we and reflexive so to speak we don't we we, we say these things without thinking about them because they seem so appropriate when we see ghastly events oh that's terrible and we don't mean Oh, we don't like it. We mean that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's wrong. That's wicked. That's evil. That's what we mean. Well, that that requires or entails the idea that there's a law that is above all all people, that is incumbent upon all people, that is being violated to create the evil that we identify. But if there is a moral law, moral law is the kind of thing, it seems to me, that require real moral law, real transcendent law, that requires a transcendent lawgiver, someone that is appropriate to establishing the obligation, which is also the nature of morality. A moral, a moral principle is one we are obliged to keep and we are at fault or guilty, culpable, if we don't do that. So, for me to say that moral laws need a a lawgiver, it fits our universal experience of those kinds of things, okay? Uh, And the same thing for things that come into existence seem to need a cause because everything else that happens is caused by something else. Now, the only exception would be something that requires no cause in itself because it is an uncaused cause or the ground of reality and by By the way, ground of being to put it more philosophically, and something like that is going to be required lest you fall into an infinite regress of events. What caused that? well, this, and what caused that then this or well, what caused that then this, and what caused that? and now you have a vicious regress where nothing gets started. There has to be something that is primitive at the foundation, which itself is not caused because it's uncaused. That is the foundation for all causal events that follow. Okay? That's a necessity. So, in the ultimate sense, Things that come into existence need an adequate cause. Why is that controversial? And then design requires a designer. There's all kinds of things on this table, including the table where I sit, that all require a designer because it's obvious that everything that I look at has been designed. The room and every single thing in it. I'm looking for floating dust particles in the air, which I don't see. So everything that I can countenance here, everything. Why does that need to design? Because it's obvious they are made for a purpose. They are the kinds of things that require know how to make. So these three categories of things, morality, cosmology and design all seem to point to a deeper reality behind them, and they do so naturally and without effort. Now, it, it it's possible that something that looks like it might have been designed wasn't designed. There's a uh, just trying to think. <laughs> you know, the clouds could form form an what looks like an image, right? I've seen pictures of these things before. And you say, isn't it amazing that the wind blowing and the clouds being pushed around by natural forces seem at least for this moment to form this thing that looks like something, like a face, for example. Or maybe a cross or something. So that's certainly plausible that some fairly simple things might be give the appearance of design but ironically if the thing that people are referring to looks pretty detailed it's not just kind of general it looks kind of sort of like a ship or that's fred's face look at it, it looks just like fred well People, when they see something that particular, specific, are going to conclude that it was designed, some kind of miracle. That's the Virgin Mary there in the cloud or something like that. I'm not putting that down. I'm just simply saying, notice that even when the modest images, modest complexity could form that look like they match something else, if they look a lot like they match something else, specified complexity, Then we start wondering if maybe there was a designer, after all, in this thing, a miracle, Jesus in a taco or whatever. So notice the intuition that we exhibit there. Now what I've just done in that simple reflection is to say that there are things that are part of our world, that we all have access to, that are best explained with an appeal to intelligence, an intelligent person, a someone, not a something that's just happening. Those three things that I give that I'm suggesting imply or from which I'm inferring a Creator are three lines of reasoning for God evidences, if you will. Now, they may not be compelling uh, to everybody. I actually think they're quite compelling, because what is the alternative? Well, the alternative is that there is no transcendent moral law, which results, by the way, in that there is no problem of evil. Really? Okay. And there is no Designer, even in the most complex things we're looking at, because those things could have happened by accident, given enough time and the right kinds of, at least in biology, biological mechanisms, like neo-Darwinian thinking suggests. And it might be that um, the universe had no cause. It just popped into existence out of nothing for no reason. Which, by the way, if one adopts that, then what they have is a miracle. (laughs) So, both the Christian and the non-Christian, non-Christian who acknowledges the origin of the universe, which is just about everybody, believe in a kind of miracle. Except for the Christian has a miracle maker, and the non-Christian has no miracle maker to make the miracle of everything popping into existence out of nothing with no cause. That strikes me as a more extreme kind of miracle, more implausible. I'm reminded of Frank Turek and Norm Geisler's book titled I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. It takes more of a leap of faith, if you will, to believe that the universe popped into existence out of nothing for no reason than it does to say that an intelligent, powerful designer made the universe because that designer is the ground of being himself and needs no cause. Okay, now, nothing that I've said so far has been surprising for any of you, and I think, if you're fair-minded, that that you, you can see that there's a point there. That's all I'm asking for. You can see there's a point there that moral laws need a lawgiver. Reading again, things coming into existence need an adequate cause. Design requires a designer, or at least it appears like design. And if it's sophisticated design, that matches—if it's—if it's not just complex, but it's—it's it's, uh, its ordered complexity. It's a—it's a specified to a different external form. And think here, Mount Rushmore. Well, that's a, wow, design follows from that. I want to read to you a response to that tweet. And uh, this is Icarus 62. I don't know who it is. But here is the response. Only atheism is rationally justifiable. There's no evidence at all for any gods and never has been. Reason tells us they're all invented. Now, I read this to you because this kind of, I don't even want to call it a response, this kind of reaction comes up a lot when theists make the kind of um, case. It wasn't just a claim that I made, it was a case The case for a lawgiver, the case for a designer, the case for a creator. It's I'm making a case. It's because the nature of the thing requires something to adequately explain it. And in reaction, not response, a response responds to the points. This reaction is just gainsaying. What's gainsaying? Gainsaying is saying, no, it ain't, no, it ain't, no, it ain't. Well, it seems to me you got to do better than just saying, no, it ain't, than Gainsaying it in order to <clears throat> to address a case that's been made. But this happens all the time. Only atheism is rationally justifiable. Okay, wait a minute. I just made the point, three of them, to show that... The atheist is making a claim that seems to fly into the face of the facts. And he says, no, it ain't. Your your view is not justifiable at all, and atheism is the only justifiable one. All right, show me why the things I said don't follow and explain how atheism follows being justifiable rationally from the existence of transcendent moral laws, as, as witnessed to by the problem of evil, the origin of the universe, and the apparent very intricate design of the universe. Show me why atheism is a better explanation and therefore rationally justifiable. You said more than that, Icarus. You said it's only atheism is rationally justifiable. See, I address, I address this in Street Smarts, in the chapter on atheism, because this is an end-around. This is what atheists will say, there is no evidence. Well, wait a minute, I just gave you three types of evidence. There's a difference between offering evidence that is not adequate to the task and offering no evidence at all. <laughs> but I offered some evidence, and actually, it's not bad. Many, many people have found this compelling. Smart people. All right. So it seems at bare minimum to a fair-minded person that this is at least um, a case, which is what I said. But this atheist simply says, only atheism is rationally justifiable. Can you tell me why that's the case? there's no evidence at all for any gods." This is the second statement. Well, first show me why atheism itself is even rationally justifiable, first of all, which you haven't done. Um, And then you have to say, only atheism is rationally justifiable. And then you have to show that the evidence they offer doesn't even qualify for evidence of of any kind. And then the final statement, reason reason tells us they're all invented. Tell me what it is about the nature of reason, about the laws of reason or rationality, or the, the, the practice of rational disputation, of working something out based on reason, how that tells us that every god is an invented god. What I just did is gave three reasons to explain three features that are evident to virtually everybody in the world. With regards to design, even Richard Dawkins says the biological realm is a complex realm that gives the appearance, at least, of having been designed for a purpose. That's the first line of The Blind Watchmaker. So, at least, even Richard Dawkins, the most famous atheist in the world, at least is willing to admit that things look like they're designed. And therefore, the conclusion that the things that look like they're designed actually have been designed is not bizarre. It's plausible. It's, shall I use this word, rational. Now, it could be mistaken, of course. There are lots of things that are rationally plausible, that are mistaken. And in fact, you can have philosophical discussions. I have a master's degree in philosophy, read a lot of philosophy books in which you have different people making contrary points, using a logical uh, line of thinking to make their points. Well, they can't both be right, but but both of them are making logical cases. So, one wouldn't say to the other, there is no reason whatsoever to believe it. That's totally irrational. Not likely they would say that when a rational argument has just been given, unless there's some kind of hidden problem that creates a circularity or that uh, turns out to create a self-refuting kind of set of circumstances. Um, A thing could be valid, but not sound. But this atheist is just simply is making three statements that just fly in the face of, of the claims that I just made. And when I say fly in the face, I mean they're, they are just raw. No, it ain't. No, it ain't. No, it ain't. Okay, why not? And this is all I'm asking for. If, if atheists are going to disagree with the rationale or rationales, in this case, that are offered for the existence of God, well, all right. But you have to disagree for a reason. You can't just say, no, it ain't. Only atheism is rationally justifiable. Wait, I just made a rational justification for creation. A creator uh, in three different areas. Creator of design, creator of the universe, creator of morality. Okay, so if it's not, what I just did doesn't work, you got to tell me why. And then you've got to tell me even how atheism is, is rationally justifiable in light of these things. And if you say there's no evidence for any gods and never has been, then you've got to deal with the evidence that has been placed before you. You can't just say, that's not evidence. That's not. Ev-. But this happens all the time. Friends, do not be, in a sense, intellectually bullied by this kind of language. And never has been? There's no evidence for any gods. It never has been. This person must be really wide wide read. Is it wide read? Widely read? They read a lot, like everything, to know that there never has been. What what this strikes me as is an analytic statement. To them it's true by definition. Not because of it's a, a priori, not a posteriori a priori is before the evidence is looked at. This is just a statement of faith. There never has been, <laughs> really. Oh, okay, reason tells us they're all invented. Okay, work that out for me. Help me see the, why. What about reason? By the way, wh- human beings have reason. How? Ca- <laughs> if we are just molecules in motion, that's it. How is it that reason exists at all? This is called the transcendental argument, or the preconditions of intelligibility. It's a favorite of presuppositionalists, and it's a good point they make. How, how if And Lewis made this point, and others beside him. This is a big deal to Lewis. If, if we are just the result of a blind process of atoms colliding together, why is it that we can even trust our faculties to give us true information about the world? Because You know, in Darwinian terms, natural selection does not select for truth. It selects for survivability, or more precisely, according to Dawkins, getting your selfish genes into the next generation. And many atheists believe that Darwinism has tricked us into believing morality is objective when it's not. And Michael Ruse is a great example of that. Well-known philosopher from University of Florida, Florida State—one of the two—and written extensively on this. He says, it's "Just a—it's just a trick of evolution." Well, if the evolution can trick us into having false beliefs about objective morality, what other beliefs has it tricked us into holding that are also false? You can't trust evolution. Uh, let me put it this way, if evolution is true, you can't trust your own thinking. That seems to follow. So, how is it that reason tells us that all gods are invented? Unfortunately, Icarus 62 is not with us. Can't explain any of those lines. But I'm just saying, you need to do more than just gainsay a point if you want to be taken intellectually seriously. When something akin to a case has been made, Contrary to your view, which is what I offered. And just a postscript to this, I have, you know, I've written a book called Street Smarts that came out four weeks ago, five weeks ago, six weeks ago now, I guess. And, uh, you know, Amazon sells it, so you check the stars. It's actually doing pretty well. For a while there, there were all five stars, And then I saw a one-star response, a one-star response. I said, oh, really? Here we've got all of these readers that gave it five stars. That's nice. It's flattering. Maybe it doesn't deserve five, but one? I wonder what that person said. So I clicked on the one star. Guess what that person said? Nothing. Nothing there was no comment of any kind that was given. And so what was this person doing? They just went in there, and they gave it one star. That's it. I, I, just so it, uh, presumably, I mean, this, well, this is my best take on it, just so it gets just a single star. You would think if they had a reason, they would say it. They would at least say, this is a bunch of hooey. More Christian hooey, or something like that. And I've seen reviews like that. Again, that's similar to this one, nuh-uh, but they didn't even say nuh-uh. They just gave it one star. And then later on, I saw one that had like three stars. There were two or three of them. Oh, okay, I wonder what they said. Guess what they said? Nothing. <laughs> well, at least it's three stars. That means they thought it had some merit, even though they didn't want to write anything about it. But the person who puts one star and says nothing, it looks like a troll. All right, I'm just gonna hit this one star just so he gets a one star. He can't get a perfect fives. So I think I'm doing a 4.8 now. It's all right. <laughs> but notice the one star. It's a nah, just like I care a 62 here. Don't settle for that. Listen, don't settle for this response if you're a Christian. And why would you settle for it if you're an atheist? Why would you settle for that? Why wouldn't you say something worthwhile that justifies your rejection of any of those three points that I've offered? I don't know. Go figure. All right, let's go to a break and then calls here on Stand to Reason. Stay with us. Friends, if you like this broadcast, I know you'll love Hashtag STR Ask. It's our shorter 20-minute podcast where I am paired with the wonderful Amy Hall, and together we answer the questions you send us on Twitter. Hashtag STR is released twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays, and it's only about 20 minutes long, so it's perfect to listen to on your morning jog or while driving around running errands or cleaning your garage or just plain loafing at home. Amy and I tackle your questions on theology and ethics and culture and lots more, offering our insight on the questions you're asking or the challenges you face. You can listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your own shows. Just remember, send us your questions on Twitter using the name of the podcast, hashtag STRask. That's hashtag STRask.
1: I attended Andy Stanley's Unconditional Conference an event intended to train the church how to minister to LGBTQ youth. Find out my three main concerns with this conference in the most recent episode of my podcast, Thinking Out Loud with Alan Schliemann. Look for it on Spotify, iTunes, your favorite podcast app, or at the top of the homepage at str.org. Hey
2: friends, would you like to be encouraged throughout your week with timely relevant content meant to bolster your knowledge, wisdom, and character? Or maybe you have a desire to be connected with other like-minded Christians from around the world. If so, then you need to follow Stand to Reason on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Not only will you be able to interact with other Stand to Reason followers, but you'll also stay up to date and informed on our latest resources and events. In our current culture, it's important to have something of value to break up your social media feed. So just visit str.org and find the links to all of our social media platforms at the bottom of the homepage.
0: All right, to your calls now, and uh, let's chat with Eric in Seattle. And Eric, I'm gonna be in Seattle in a couple of days.
1: I know, I saw that. That's why I'm calling.
0: Oh. Are you coming to that event?
1: Well, I thought about it, but here's the thing. So Cedar Park Church has women pastors. Um because we we're just talking about this issue. Um, and so which I don't think is biblical. Um, Wait, the
0: church that I'll be speaking at has female pastors, is that what you said? Or is that Several. You, okay. Several. But is there are they the head pastor?
1: So well, first of all, just a thought. I mean, you're speaking there, so I mean, I'm. I would just was considering attending, and I already did the research, so I would think you would have looked that up. Not, I don't want to be rude or anything, but um, but the the husband and wife um, that run the church or whatever. The the he's the head pastor, she's an associate pastor, and then there's several pastors below them
0: that are yeah. female. Okay, so why why would I turn that down? Well. I actually didn't know that, but it, to me it's irrelevant. I'll probably tell you why in a moment. But go, why would you think I should turn that down?
1: Well, because it's not biblical.
0: Okay. Let me ask you a question um, Do you think Mormons are Christians?
1: <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. I know less about that issue than I do. No, I can't. Okay, I'm talking point. about
0: Mormonism per se, not any given Mormon that you might know.
1: Um, I would say. Certainly, generally not, but again, okay, I know good. less about that issue. No, this issue. I think you're
0: right. It's not. It's not and it's they a different... might be
1: talking about apples and oranges here.
0: We'll see. If I got an invitation to speak at a Mormon church, should I turn it down because they're not Christians?
1: Here's. It might depend on what you're speaking on, but here's the difference, okay? These people should know better. They're professing Christians who claim to read the Bible, claim it's who would, who would claim it's true,
0: Okay. Okay.
1: and the Mormons don't think that. They they hold the LDS thing about the Bible where they're deceived. It's a different issue.
0: Okay, so uh, so that, that
1: that's uh, part of my reason. Okay, okay, got it.
0: I, 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 in my mind. Well, let me just give you another illustration, then. Okay, so Trinity Broadcasting <clears throat> Network. You know who those characters are. Yeah. Okay, so there's a lot of characters. So I'm kind of yes. joking a little bit because people they used to be seem they used to be more kind of bizarreish than they are to people now, they kind of mellowed out a little bit since okay. uh, Jan and what's-his-name, you know, gone, whatever, but um, they, they got a lot of word-faith people on there, all right? Yeah. Now these are Christians that should know better, right? Mm-hmm. So, so if I well, had, if I had, a, if I had well, an invitation to speak on TBN, do you think I should so do it?
1: Does. So, I think it's a little different, and you said these are Christians that know better, they might not
0: no they um, should know better that's what the way you put qualified the one about i the, do
1: think the people yes. at theater park church should know better but the people on tbn um maybe not it depends well, on the person
0: well why There's, why shouldn't they know better i'm not i i guess i don't quite follow that huh?
1: well so of course i think they should know better but do they know better that i don't know so
0: okay so apparently let's say your view about pastors uh, is correct, and Cedarview is violating that, and they should know better. Apparently, they don't know better, all right? So that sounds pretty much like TBN to me. I've been on TBN probably five or six times over the years, okay. all right? Uh, Rick Warren, I've spoken to this church a bunch of times, too. I don't r- agree with everything Rick r- r- writes or does. In fact, mm-hmm. I was critical of it. And we People were critical of me. They said you're endorsing him when you do that. If you speak at his church, and so here's my general deal that applies to all of these circumstances. Okay, <clears throat> virtually all of them. I mean, unless you gave me some example, but so far none would apply in my mind would under would undermine my general approach. If I'm going, if I'm invited to go to a church or some establishment to speak, at best they are endorsing me. But I am not endorsing them or anything they believe. I am responding to an opportunity to speak the truth in that environment." Paul in Areopagus was invited by Epicurean (coughs) philosophers to speak his mind there on Mars Hill. Okay, he didn't say, look, you guys are a bunch of idolaters. I'm not going to hang around with you guys. No, he took opportunity to speak that issue. That's my general perspective (coughs) about anywhere that I'm invited to speak. I'm not endorsing them by being there. They are endorsing me, which is why they asked me to come on board. And so when it comes to any particular church with unusual theology, and every church has unusual theology in some measure, just about, that I go go to. I speak at a lot of Calvary chapels, and I disagree with their rapture stuff, you know, plus I'm Reformed. Okay? So that's not like they are either, and I think they're mistaken on both of those issues. But I still show up, even though I think their views are unbiblical. I show up because I can make my contribution, and my being there does not endorse their views. To me, it's as simple as that.
1: Well, I think that it might depend on the issue we're talking about and the gravity of the issue, but um, here's my next question, my second question. Do you plan to confront them, on the issue, do you want no. to confront the Cedar Park leadership. On no, the issue?
0: for one, I don't. I don't share your your view that women can't be pastors. Okay, and um, well, you know no. it's kind of interesting. I bet you there are there are women on John MacArthur's staff that do various things. Okay, mm-hmm. I don't know if he calls them pastors or not, but calling them pastors is incidental. That's just a name. It's what they do. That's the key. Okay, and what I'm not. Uh, obliged to do in any place I go is to call all these people out on what I think their doctrinal errors happen to be. I am there to communicate the truth, and that's the way I can communicate the truth the best. They don't answer to me; they answer to other people. They answer to the Lord, okay? And uh, so, I mean, I, to me, that's pretty straightforward. If I were to do that every place I went, I'd have I wouldn't have been able to go to this event last weekend at the Lutheran place because they believe in pedal baptism, which I don't believe in. So I'm not going to. Should I call all of those people out on their their uh, baptistic views?
1: No, not necessarily. But it, de- it it depends on the issue and whether or not you should call somebody out. So.
0: So the here they believe that baptism is necessary for salvation. That's petal-baptism and their whole baptistic and um, their 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 view on baptismal regeneration. That's their view. To me, that's significant mistake. I agree. That's okay. a problem. Right. Um, so but you wouldn't have me call the Lutherans out on that, but you'd have me call these people out because they have female pastors?
1: I might have you call them out on it. In fact, I would maybe ask the same question. Would you confront them on that issue? Seems like it would be in order.
0: Yeah, well, like, the issue of salvation. It's a serious issue. Yeah, well, this is an area that we, that we disagree in. I don't, I don't know what else to say. I've tried to give you well, a bunch of parallel examples to show the common sensibility of my approach to this, and that there's nothing inappropriate about me speaking uh at this venue when they have people who believe and practice theological things that i don't hold to hold to even even aggressively. It turns out that I don't think I don't even know the circumstances there, and it may be that I don't disagree i I have no problem with a woman fulfilling a role in the church. That somebody calls a pastoral role. I do have a problem with a woman being a lead, functioning as a lead pastor, and therefore as a de facto elder, because I think that violates First or rather, uh, First Timothy three.
1: So, so here's, I'd like to speak that if I can. Mm-hmm. So, why even split hairs on the issue? Why even dance with it? This is, if you look at the scripture where um, Paul says, you know, I don't allow women to teach or have authority over men because um, Adam was deceived for you know mm-hmm. he was deceived for that's et in center, chapter too right, two, right. Yeah. yeah so he Uh-oh. takes it back to the garden he takes it back to the garden what what did Satan what was the first thing that Satan said to Eve when he approached her
0: Has yeah, God said
1: did God really say mm-hmm. did God really say so you have women in the church now and and men too I think who are kind of acting like Adam but women who would who would readily say that, yeah, I consider First Timothy the Word of God, but I think Satan is coming to women in the Church right now and saying did the same thing he said to Eve. Did God really say? And men are going along with it, and so I think it's, it, the issue has more gravity than people realize. I think that there's maybe a demonic influence there.
0: Um okay let me and... let me jump in and offer a thought here Eric and that is I fully acknowledge the full authority of 1 Timothy chapter 2 I just know that there's a contextual problem with that interpretation because the Greek word for man is air, and the Greek word for husband is air, and the Greek word for woman is gunē and the Greek word for wife is gunē so, both of those words could be translated husband and wife, not man and woman, and there are contextual reasons why I think that's a better translation. And, in fact, in virtually every case but one other, and that's in 1 Corinthians 10, when Onair and Gune are together in an obvious close relationship, and this was a relationship of complete submission then the text is translated husband and wife which would be appropriate so the question isn't here the authority of scripture the question is how we understand what these verses actually mean and if it means a woman must receive authority must be completely submitted to a man in the church then if I were in your church your wife would be submitted to me because she's a woman and this man
1: I never said that I was I going by true. what the
0: text I'm just going by what the text says uh-huh. the way you read it
1: well, I'm not an expert in the Greek, um, but um, I tell, I'm, I'm What I would like to do is when you're in town, maybe you, myself, and my pastor, who's way more educated on this issue, could sit down and talk about it. Um, but I think that there's more, the gravity of the issue is more than maybe people realize. Mm-hmm. And one evidence of that is that churches that approve of and have women pastors tend to go on to approve. Of homosexuality.
0: Well that's not true across the board. I mean it's not even a pattern. I didn't say across the board. No, I well, said tend to. well you're suggesting ten tend to that's a pattern. I just simply have not seen that. I just have not seen it. And I've been exposed to a whole lot of churches. And well, have sure. women pastors too. Not the, same, not, the, order, not the same not the same as head pastors but that's to me that's a different category but women who have past churches who have women that are working and they call them pastors they're functioning in what they think is a shepherding role in the church i i don't so, have any problem with that and i think and i and i, I don't think the first timothy 2 passage addresses that the way you do, but that's okay. Okay, We can have a different well, opinion, but I'll tell you what, my schedule from Friday night to Sunday morning is absolutely full, so I can't I even do. meet with somebody that's a friend of mine in that area. I was already invited by some other friends to have dinner, and I'm mm-hmm. not going to be able to get away. But oh,
1: yeah, I, I bet. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Uh, I'd like to
1: talk about it more, um, and maybe I could, but, but just on the issue of saying the title pastor is incidental, okay? So, I think we could both acknowledge that there's pressure from the culture, there's pressure from the world to acquiesce in this area, to accept women pastors, to accept homosexuality, all these other things. So why even play around with it? Why even dance with it? Why not okay. pr- just be clear and not even have women in leadership have the title of pastor and just say, we're gonna, we are taking a strong stand on this, we're going to be biblical, and we're not even going to dance around the issue and give a, even a hint of acquiescence to worldly thinking.
0: Okay, Eric, tell me the verse that states clearly, or even unclearly, that a woman cannot be called a pastor in a church.
1: So, I don't have that, but I have the principle of of 1 Timothy 2.12. Okay.
0: Yeah, but that's only one aspect of a woman's role in the church, and that is teaching men. <laughs> that is. That's what it's talking about. I know the passage How do you know quite that? well. I know the passage quite well, and that's what it's talking about. To receive it seems, it, like,
1: it, it seems like we're trying to really overthink this hard so that we don't uh, have to, so that we can fit in the fit in with the world.
0: Well, I'm I'm just going to have to leave it there, Eric. I, I I'll okay. let you have the last word on that. Um, I think. Uh, I'm just going to leave it there and All let right. people make their own decision, but I appreciate the call.
1: Yeah, I appreciate your time. Thank okay, you, Greg.
0: Take care. You too. Let's see. Oh, that's number two. I've got to push that button. All right. Hmm. Just making sure I push the right button so I don't lose <laughs> the wrong caller. All right, Ryan here in uh, Pittsburgh. Ryan, welcome to Standard Reason.
2: Hi, Greg. Hi. Thanks for having me today.
0: Yes, you're welcome.
2: So, happy Reformation Day.
0: Oh, yes. Uh, Isn't it? Yes, day. and also Melinda's birthday today.
2: Uh-huh. So, uh, in, keeping with the, in keeping with the day, I've got a question about uh, Sola Scriptura. So, All right. Yeah, I've been uh, recently talking with a friend who wants to convert to Catholicism, and she's Uh, told me that uh, she can no longer accept sola scriptura because uh, uh, it doesn't seem to her that uh, writing down would be the only authoritative medium for Christian history and doctrine. And so she's now also sending me, uh, for example, passages from uh, citing... uh, church fathers such as Ignatius of Antioch or Tertulli, Tertullian hmm late 2nd century oh, got it yeah uh with support for uh for example um, a uh, high church for example do nothing without the bishop uh or uh, Transubstantiation,
0: yeah, the like. by the way that that second that other thing doing nothing without the bishop kind of thing would have been really hard for the uh, first century church wouldn 't have been who were getting all these letters from the disciples and passing them around because they didn 't have any bishops telling them um, how to proceed, they just had the letters from the disciples or from the apostles more specifically um, i just, I always thought that was kind of interesting when sure. The 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 point is played that what good is an inspired interpretation? You didn't use this language, but it's kind of the point seems to be moving in this direction. What what's the point of having what good is an inspired interpretation? Rather, inspired scripture without an inspired interpretation? Well, that would leave the pretty much the whole church the first century. Out of proper understanding of the text, because they didn't have bishops to tell them or priests to tell them what these texts mean, they just had the texts that were letters written to them by apostles, so I mean that point doesn't make any sense to me at all here's an Here's an important point why don't Protestants view the works of the early church fathers as authoritative for doctrine is because the early church fathers didn't think of themselves as their works being authoritative for doctrine. It was rather their understanding of what Scripture said. The Scripture had the authority. That's called canon, canon authority. It was the early church fathers that consistently quoted the authoritative canon to make their case regarding theological issues, especially dealing with the er errors and the heresies that were coming up in the late 1st century and 2nd century. Different errors came up, and um, A big one in the 2nd century was Gnosticism, and after that, Arianism. That got dealt with in the 4th century, and other Christological concerns. But there was always a going back to the canon, that is, this group of writings that were from those who had been trained and authorized by Jesus himself. And that was what was the the main criterion for canon was apostolic authority. So the church fathers didn't think that they were writing holy writ. They were given their opinions on Holy Writ. I think those opinions are valuable. We have to te- keep those in mind, but we can't cause those things to overturn what seems to be the teaching of Scripture as we understand it. Okay. Does that help?
2: I follow. So.
0: Okay, here's a thought that you might offer to your friend. I'm not sure how much of this is for yourself or just responding to your friend who's, in a sense, listing towards Rome right now. Um, uh, the, yes, they have multiple uh, sources of authority. They have Scripture, they have the Holy Tradition, they have the the Magisterium, teaching magisterium of the Church, and then they have the Pope when he speaks with his special authority, ex cathedra, or from the chair. By the way, that's a fairly recent development. I think that's 19... 19- uh, 19th century, that doctrine was established, late 19th century, that the Pope speaks with authority when speaking from the chair. Okay. But nevertheless, um, they offer four different sources of divine authority. Okay. And since here's a way that I approach it that might be helpful for you if you're talking with her. We both believe that the scripture, the Bible, is God's word. Okay? The Roman Catholics believe there are three additional sources of God speaking authoritatively to His Church. All right? Those ones that I mentioned. So, my claim that the Scripture is authoritative is the same—they agree with my claim. I don't have to add the sola on there right now, or just say, this is a Scripture. All right. So anything that the that in those other sources of authority that is offered has to at least be consistent with what has already been revealed. Okay. Fine. Now if they're going to argue that they have three additional sources of authority, when they agree on my source of authority, they're going to have to verify and justify those sources independently. They can't just say it and then fault me for claiming sola scriptura when I haven't proven sola scriptura. I don't have to prove anything. I'm just affirming what they affirm with regards to the Bible, and they add additional revelation that they claim is authoritative. They have to make the case for their additional sources of revelation. I don't have to refute them as if they stand automatically by giving, making a case for sola scriptura, they are the ones that are adding the additional authorities for consideration. So that's one part. Um, Secondly, it's just an observation. And I was raised Roman Catholic, all right, in the Vatican I tradition. And uh, the masses I went to as a kid were all in Latin. My brother was a altar boy. He had to learn all the Latin. I tried to be an altar boy. I couldn't learn the Latin, so I never was, all right? But I have made an observation amongst a number of different religious groups, and I'm not trying to create parity here between them all, but there is a pattern. And the pattern is, when the Bible is accepted as the Word of God and an additional source of authority is added to the mix, what ends up happening is the Bible ends up taking backseat to these additional sources of authority. I've seen it happen with the, uh, the Mormons who believe in the Bible, but also the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price, and the Doctrines and Covenants. Three more. Well, the Bible ends up taking a seat to those three. I've seen it happen with Jehovah's Witnesses who believe the Bible, but then they also believe the Watchtower Society. Now, I'm not putting Roman Catholicism in the same category as them, except for this pattern because they have the Bible plus these other things. And time and again, I have seen from my common straight-ahead reading of Scripture, Rome take exception and come up with new teaching that is not consistent with Scripture, and one of them right now is inclusivism, the idea that you don't have to even believe in Jesus to be saved you could be a good jew or a good muslim or a good a good hindu or whatever good buddhist and still go to heaven by jesus that's called inclusivism these are called by karl Rahner as uh, uh, I think he called them unconscious christians or so sort of, uh, or subconscious or uh, anonymous there it is <laughs> a, anonymous christians well that's nobody had ever heard of that for a thousand years even Rahner acknowledges that <clears throat> so it's not coming from the new testament What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. There it is. So now we've got a teaching that's coming from the authoritative sources of the Roman Catholic Church that is contrary to Scripture. What happens to Scripture? It doesn't count as much as this other thing. And I've talked to dozens, dozens, maybe a dozen different Roman Catholic priests on the air in so-called interfaith dialogues that make this particular claim about inclusivism anonymous Christians. All right, so so just an observation here that when you have multiple sources added to the Bible, the Bible gets the short shrift. I've seen it happen over and over again. So that's something else to keep in mind here uh, on this particular issue. Okay. Does that help?
2: Yeah, I think so. So I uh, yeah.
0: Have I'll some conversations with your friend and give me a call back when she comes up with other things. How about that?
2: Sounds good. Sounds like my approach should probably basically be rather than uh, like read up on how to demonstrate such and such documents as uh, unauthoritative or inauthentic. Just say we both agree that scripture is uh, God breathed, right? Right. Okay. And once I do that, I just sit around and wait for a contradiction. The
0: well, the what, what you well. That's not quite the approach, but you're moving in the right direction. The Bible we both agree on, so we should both be able to make any theological point from a fair reading of Scripture. Okay, now she wants to bring in other authorities. Well, those authorities have to be verified. Why should I believe that the teaching magisterium and uh, holy tradition and uh, and um, the right. the Pope from the chair are speaking with divine authority? That's all. On, the burden of proof is on her on that one. Okay, yep. and the early church fathers, as far as I could tell, didn't believe they were speaking with divine authority. They were drawing their understanding of scriptural truth from scripture. Yep. Now they what they had to say about it is important. We should read what they had to say about it. but but they were deriving authority from this text, not from themselves. Yep. Okay, and that's the point I would make. So ultimately we go back to Scripture to see, were these fathers correct in what they believed? Origen apparently believed in the pre- pre-existence of the soul. And maybe reincarnation, I don't know. But just because they were a church father doesn't mean they were right about everything. So anyway, just a thought there, yep. okay? Okay. Alrighty. Thanks for the call. Thanks, Barry. Okay, Right. Yeah, take care. Now, I, I'm jumping here because we got one other caller that I wanted to get in. And maybe, maybe, you oh, know, I'm looking at, I got three minutes. We can't do this. I was going to go, <laughs> Amy and the, the, the bearded beasts are shaking their head. No, no. All right. I was going to answer a call from Benny. It's 52 seconds for his call anyway. So uh, just to use up the rest of this time. And uh, I wasn't sure if my... Prior caller had more, and it seemed like he was satisfied with what I said, so I was going to jump out. <clears throat> and what am I doing now? I'm just making a lot of noise to use up the last th- three minutes since I can't take a, a call. By the way, I think this is a fair way of approaching this whole thing about Sola Scriptura. We, are, we don't have to make the claim only the Bible, and that needs to be clarified what we mean. And what we mean is it is the Bible that is the sole source of authoritative, God breathed information. That's what it amounts to. Now that has to be interpreted. It has to be interpreted properly and fairly, okay? And for the person who says, "Well, wait a minute, what good is that if we don't have a uh, divinely inspired interpretation?" That's what the church can give us. Well, wait a minute. Even the divinely inspired interpretation has to be what read and what interpreted. No matter what we end up with as the final divinely inspired whatever, we still have to read it and figure out what it means. This is true at every single level. So, it doesn't help at all to say it needs a divinely inspired interpretation, because then the question is, who's going to interpret the divinely inspired interpretation? And that's why you have catechisms and commentaries on the catechisms and all this other stuff. I have reason to believe that the Bible is divinely inspired. God breathed. I have no reason to believe the other things are such. And any other claims to be correct theologically in the Christian circles needs to be uh, verified by the text itself. And the prior call we had about women pastors, that's what we were doing. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That was the main point. I'm not faulting my caller at all, Jacob or whoever it was. Uh, I'm just saying, he was offering scripture, I was offering scripture, we we're trying to understand what it actually says because we both agree that it's the scripture that is the authority. Now if somebody wants to to um come forward and say, Yeah, but it's also this, 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 A, B, C, and D or whatever, then you gotta pony up. You gotta step up and show why we should believe those additional sources of authority are on par with scripture. And like I said, when this has happened Invariably, and this my experience is true in each of those groups that I mentioned, invariably the scripture ends up in the back seat, and only lip service is given to it when the other things seem to disagree with it. And that's my theory. Greg Kochel here for Stand a Reason, friends. Give him heaven. All right. Bye bye now.